want to say thank you to, uh, to Barry and to the rest of the staff for holding down the fort uh, the last two Sundays while Ellen and I had the opportunity to go to uh, northwest Montana uh, for a little bit of vacation. And uh, we saw uh, some parts of our own country that uh, absolutely stunning. Northwest Montre uh, Montana is, is a cathedral. It seems like it's just beautiful and everything seems to be reaching to heaven. So first, uh, thank you to all of the, the folk that were able to kind of step in over the last two Sundays. Also, um, at the end of the service and uh, uh, as we're getting ready to uh, conclude everything down, we are going to, uh, to witness the baptism of Reagan Allen. This is a uh, 13-year-old uh, daughter, Stephen and Shamira, and uh, we are so grateful to be able to watch this new birth, and that's going to happen uh, at the end of our assembly today. Uh, we're in this series that I'm calling Untwisted, and as you know, uh, kind of the background to this series, it's a, a study of the fruit of the Spirit, but we've been saying, and I think that we all you know, are in agreement, that human beings just seem to be really twisted. They're warped, they're bent, there is no evidence that we are getting any better, that we even have the power our, under our own steam to get better. It's easier for us to make a better microwave than it is for there to be a better human heart on our own. And it seems that, you know, as we, as we try to do better, basically what we're doing is just swapping one form of war for another, one form of strife for another. And we just keep going round and round and round. But the good news is that God loves to untwist what is twisted. God loves to untwist what's twisted. And this is one of the reasons that God puts His Holy Spirit in us when we become His children. The Holy Spirit comes into the life of a disciple of Jesus as a power to accomplish what we cannot do under our own steam. And that is to become the human beings that God created us to be. It is about change. It is about transformation. There is no maturity. There is no growing up into the likeness of Jesus without change and without, without transformation. Now, one of the ways that Paul talks about this transformation, this spiritual growing up, is to call it, and he writes this to the, to the church in, in the passage that, that Efton read, the church in Galatia, he calls it fruit or bearing fruit. When disciples of Jesus walk with the Spirit that God puts in them in conversion, virtues begin to form. They begin to pop out like buds and blossoms. Now, bearing the fruit of the Spirit is not automatic. It's not the Holy Spirit walking and doing all the heavy lifting and carrying us. It's about working together with God's Spirit in us, going in the same direction. It's walking with the Spirit and the Spirit walking with us. And a couple of weeks ago, before we left for Montana, we were talking about the first component of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. This love is the supernatural, Holy Spirit-driven blossoming of an extraordinary kingdom kind of love. It's not the ooey-gooey emotions. It's not loving you for what I can get out of you. It's not loving you to a certain point, but no further this kind of love that is generated and developed by the Holy Spirit in disciples of Jesus is the kind that brings the character and the actions of God into the world on a daily basis through people like you and me. Now, we're going to think about that second component this morning, which is joy. From love, we go to joy. Now, we've all encountered 
grouchy Christians. The ones that say, I love you with the love of the Lord, but get off my lawn. Many years ago, in another place, in another place on the planet, there was a fellow that uh, it was sort of his nearly weekly duty to come into the church office and to tell me what was wrong with the world, to tell me what was wrong with the church, and a lot of times to tell me what was wrong with me. And one time in particular, he came in and he said, uh, you know, preacher, you're talking about all this growth. You know, why aren't we growing? Where's this, where's this growth you've been talking about? And with every fiber in my being, I wanted to say, you want to know what the problem is? I'm looking at it. But I didn't say that. Instead, I had a conversation with a wise old elder who said, you know, I've known this guy for a long time, and he doesn't really like his life very much. Disciple of Jesus, but he doesn't like his life very much. I've often wondered, what difference does Christianity make in the world if it doesn't make a difference in your life? What difference does our faith, your faith, our, the, the individual display of our faith and trust and belief in God, what difference does Christianity make in the world if it does not make a difference in our individual lives? Here are just a couple of the many things that Jesus brings to our life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, I came that they, the disciples, his followers, may have life and have it abundantly. Now, when he says abundantly, he's not talking about getting rich or getting powerful or getting famous, but he's talking about getting a big life. He's talking about a life that is so big that regardless of what kind of personality you might have, the life that Jesus gives you, this true life, significant life that he gives you, is not something that can just be contained inside your skin. And in one of the great prayers of Jesus, this one at the end of his life, right before he gets crucified, in John chapter 17, in praying to God, he says, I'm coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they, that is my disciples, may have the full measure of my joy. The full measure of my joy within them. Joy is just held out to disciples of Jesus as a way of life. So why choose dour rather than joy? C.S. Lewis has written, uh, to me, it's a, one of his most profound statements. It was in a sermon that he preached called The Weight of Glory. They, later it was transcribed. But in it, at the beginning of the sermon, he says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are too easily pleased. End of quote. Why a lack of joy in our lives when the Bible not only talks a lot about joy, but holds out joy as the reality of the Christian life? We talk a lot about forgiveness, and that's a reality. We talk a lot about the love of God, that is a reality. But joy is a big deal in the Bible. David, in the Old Testament, reminds Israel as the Ark of the Covenant is being brought into Jerusalem, 1 Chronicles 16, 
that strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Think about all of the things that come to mind when we think about the presence of God. We think about angels. We think about holiness. We think about power. We think about might. We think about righteousness. We think about love. David says that joy is a part of the context in which God exists. And he also writes, uh, also tells the people that the joy that is in God's presence spills over into his own life when he writes Psalm 16, You, God, will fill me with joy in your presence. A song that we sing all the time comes from Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah tells Israel, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What Nehemiah is saying is that in the presence of God is joy, and that joy comes into you, and that joy comes into your life as an asset. It comes into your life as a strength. It's not just this emotion, not just a feeling. It comes into your life as a strength. Think about how this continues in the New Testament, the birth of Jesus. Jesus is bringing joy to people before he can even walk. What did the angel say to the shepherds when he announced the birth of Jesus? Luke chapter 2, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. I bring you the gospel. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. And when we think about the gospel, which means good news, good news is gospel, isn't that what good news does best? Good news, the gospel, does not bring sadness, it brings gladness. And Paul, continuing this idea about joy, tells the church in Rome that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy is a big deal in the Bible because joy is supposed to be a big deal in the life of a disciple of Jesus. So, why does the church just, at times, seem to suffer from a joy deficit? Perhaps it's how we think about joy. Joy is, is not the, the absence of suffering. Joy, actually, and I believe this with all of my heart because I've experienced it, Joy overlaps suffering. Sometimes the word joy in our thinking is synonymous with happy. And I'm all for happy. Happy is a good thing. But happiness is, we must never forget, a circumstantial thing. I'm, I'm happy that we're going to Disneyland. I'm happy to have a date. I will be happy when the Dallas Cowboys learn how to win. Joy is, <laughs> is not the opposite of suffering. It's not the opposite of sorrow, but it coexists with that suffering and sorrow. James, the brother of Jesus, in this letter he writes to the church, says, at the very beginning, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What joy is actually the opposite of is hopelessness. It is given by the Holy Spirit in recognition of what God has done and is doing in your life and the eternal realities that are as firm and as dense as anything that we know. Joy does not take away pain. Joy does not, does not take away the trouble. But that joy helps us to see past the pain to what lies ahead. What's, what's down the road. In one of my favorite passages in the New Testament, Peter, 
writes in the first chapter of 1 Peter, he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here's how I've been thinking about joy over the last couple of weeks. Joy is a sign of a forever healing. Joy is a sign of a forever healing. Joy is a sign that you have been healed. It is not about circumstance. It is, your joy is given to you through the Spirit as a way of responding to the fact that you have been healed of everything. We have been healed. I mean, what do you feel when sickness that you, you haven't wanted to get out of bed, you're tired, you don't want to eat, your body aches, and then one day you wake up and your feet are under you and you have strength and your body doesn't hurt and you don't have the headache. What happens, what do you experience when the sickness has passed? Joy. What happens when the doctor says the cancer is gone? It's joy. What do people who have been at war for years and are war sick the worry, the, the loss, the grief. What do they feel when it is announced that that war has ceased? It's joy. When you become a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, you experience forgiveness rather than unceasing guilt. When you become a disciple of Jesus, you experience reconciliation to the Creator of the heavens and the earth and no longer that alienation that makes us think that the universe is a cold and empty and hostile place. You experience peace rather than discord, love rather than wrath, redemption instead of enslavement and hopelessness, adoption instead of isolation. I mean, we could go on and on and on, right? In other words, the healing that, that you receive, that you experience, when you become a child of God, is a healing of everything that is wrong with you as a human being that in eternity will never, ever touch you again. So two things to work on beginning today. One, the first one, and it sounds a little bit trite, it sounds so perfunctory, it's something that we talk about every day, but on a daily basis, we need to choose, say it out loud, choose to draw near to God. Have you ever been around somebody that, you know, the closer you get to them, you know, you're on one side of the building, they're on the other, but the closer you get to them and finally you're in their presence and you just can't be sad, you just can't be down, you just, you know, you're going to smile, you're going to laugh when you're in that person's presence. I mean, think about it in a negative sense. I mean, what happens when you get close to a sick person? I mean, why do we wear masks and why are we social distancing? Because if you get close to somebody and it's wide open, then you're going to get infected with the same thing. Think about the fact that joy and strength are in the presence of God, and then you're choosing on a daily basis to get close to that. God will infect you with joy. The closer you get to God, the more you're going to get the joy, joy, joy down in your heart to stay. So choose to draw near to God. I mean, say it out loud. 
Make it, make it a habit multiple times during the day to say, I'm walking with God. I'm in God's presence, and He's going to infect me. He's going to, he's going to, to call, saturate me with joy. And then number two, contemplate your good news gospel reality. When is the last time you just really thought about the beauty of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? On the, the, the MPG that is on the back of the sermon handout that you can get online, at the, in the, the G section of that, there is a, a statement that I want you to put in a conspicuous place that you can see all the time. I mean, not just one today, but you can see it all the time. For me, it would be on the fridge because I go to the fridge multiple times during the day. But put it in a conspicuous place so that you can be reminded of your reality. And the reality is this. I am a child of God. I am richly blessed. And I live in God's presence forever. I mean, you can memorize that, right? I'm a child of God. I'm richly blessed. And I live in God's presence forever. Say it with me. I am a child of God. I am richly blessed. I live in God's presence forever. And let's let the joy roll in this community. Let's put our masks on and let's stand and sing.